What's going on, ladies and gents? Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and today I have special guest and former client, Jill Reader, on the line. How are you, Jill? I'm good, Robert. Thanks for having me. It is an absolute pleasure of mine to have you on here. So we're going to kind of dive into your, you know, history, your, just the I'd love to kind of get into the mindset, but I guess also the physical aspect of what all you've gone through. Uh, so just kind of give the audience a little little background, a little foundation on who they're listening to here. Yeah, of course. Just at a high level, um, I started keto about two and a half years ago. I was about 100 pounds overweight. I was about 250 pounds. I'm five foot eight. And I had um, what what triggered it for me to to get healthy was... I was pre-diabetic, so I had an A1C of 5.9, and mm -hmm. my endocrinologist wanted to put me on medication and so forth, and I just, I just couldn't see myself. I knew that was going to lead to insulin and having to be on insulin, so I knew I had to do something to get my health under control. Um, so I just started looking around the internet, and I found ketogenic diet, and it took about nine months, but I was able to lose 100 pounds in nine months. I had all sorts of issues with. Um, what I guess that Dr. Fung and Ivor Cummins calls hyperinsulinemia. So I had all sorts of issues related to inflammation because of high levels of insulin in my body. I had plantar fasciitis, sleep apnea. I had all sorts of very disrupted sleep pattern. Um, I had really high stress levels too. So I know my cortisol levels were up and I, I had to go see a cardiologist and, and I was 37, 38 years old at this time. And I had um, what's called preventricular contractions in my heart. Mm -hmm. um, and my cardiologist told me that it, my percentage was 9%. So 9% of the time I was having these um, preventricular contractions happening. And so he said, you know, that is on the borderline for uh, where we would want to put you on medication. And this is an indication of, of heart disease. So uh, he said, you got to start like looking at reducing your stress levels. And that was his suggestion to me. Um, so I, I knew I had some serious problems, the, the prediabetes and the, the, uh, the heart stuff. I, I knew I had to get that under control. Um, so I was really grateful when I found keto, uh, just started feeling better immediately when I cut out sugar, when I cut out grains, when I started focusing on real whole foods and, um, eating, you know, meat and poultry and fish and whole fat dairy and leafy greens again. I just, I felt so much better. So Real quick, uh, don't mean to catch up here, but with with regard to like, I'm trying to get like the time frame. So you've been doing keto for two years now, and you were around 37. You said when you started doing that. Yeah, I was. Uh, let's see. So I think I was 38 when I found keto. I found it in November of 2016. I'm 40 now, so yeah, I'll be 41. So I was, yeah, just about two and a half years ago that I found keto. I think I was 38 at the time. Um, and I was 250 pounds and it took me about nine months to lose all the weight. Um, so I, I, I lost about a hundred pounds in about nine months. That's, that's, that's pretty freaking amazing. If you ask me, um, yeah, yeah. Can, can you dive into like some of the, the symptoms you were having with the hyperinsulinemia? I feel like a lot of people have those, those very symptoms and like they don't connect the dots between that being a result of their insulin. But I mean, like they'll have like the plantar fasciitis or They'll have like, um, you know, sleep apnea. I, I see a lot of people that, that suffer from this, but it's like they, they don't see the big picture of 
why it's so interconnected. And I feel like they just they just single it out and assume it's just one thing that they have. Yes. So when I saw uh, when I heard Ivor Cummins talk at KetoCon last year in 2018, and he talked about this concept of hyperinsulinemia, it kind of put everything together for me. I didn't really I wasn't able to put it all together until I heard it. I saw these things starting to improve, but I really didn't. So I would encourage anybody who maybe is starting on this journey, go look up and Google search Ivor Cummins and, and um, his presentation at KetoCon in 2018. It was, it was remarkable. But um, so, so the first and the biggest issue that I had was plantar fasciitis. And so what that is, is an inflammation of a tendon on the bottom of your foot. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of people, like runners get it and they get this feeling where it feels like you're walking on the he- your heel has no padding and you-, you get this sharp pain in your heel. And that's a very mild form of it. What ends up happening is um, it, th- that pain will then travel through your arch of your foot down through the front of your foot. And then you start walking. You, sh- you try to accommodate by walking on the side of your foot so that you're not having to stretch your arch. And for me, um, as I understand it now, uh, you walk during the day and of course i had excessive weight on top of excessive like uh, inflammation in my body so i would get up in the morning and i would just feel shooting pain up through my feet when Mm -hmm. the moment i put my feet on the ground and i would just like in my head i'd be like oh here we go like starting the day in pain and i would have my husband now laughs because he he's like do you remember when you used to hobble to the bathroom because i would i would walk with on the sides of my feet and kind of hobble from side to side mm-hmm. to get yeah. to the bathroom <laughs> to go to the bathroom in the morning because it took a while for my t- for that that tendon that runs along the bottom of my foot to warm up again to be able to walk normally. And then if I did anything where let's say I went to an amusement park with the kids and walked around all day, I would be for like two days I could barely walk. It would hurt so bad. My feet would hurt so bad. And the the crazy thing and really what motivated me to stick with a low carb, high fat diet in the beginning was that inflammation started going down like immediately. And so even though the weight was not necessarily like maybe the weight was coming off a little bit, but the my feet felt better. So I was like, wow, the whatever I'm doing is making like my my feet not hurt. So for me that like that chronic pain that I had had for four years, by the way, I was living, I was hobbling to the bathroom for four years with that pain in my feet. Yeah. People talk about the anti-inflammatory effects of the diet. And unless you have like a, like a, a, a specific ailment, like a, a place when you buy that, that you know, just isn't right. Or sometimes people don't even realize that it's not right because it just become their norm and they don't even recognize something's wrong until they, they, they experience something you know, opposite of that sensation. So like for me, it was in my knees, like my, like my knees after squatting days, I would just feel like I, I couldn't hardly move for, for days. And then after I switched to keto, like that inflammation pretty much completely disappeared and I didn't have any kind of, you know, pain afterwards. Um, but yeah, I can't yeah. imagine having that pain in your feet, you know, chronically for four years. I mean, it's just going to be miserable. Well, it's exactly like you're saying it, it kind of slowly builds up over time and over time. And then because I was, I was, um, a hundred pounds overweight, I would just always blame it on, I'm just, I'm just overweight. I just need to lose weight and everything will be fine. I just need to lose weight. Everything will be fine. Right. And so I got into this cycle of trying things like Nutrisystem and Jenny Craig and Weight Watchers and 
try actually a lot of the times what I would do is try to exercise myself to death, like get on a bike or start running, and then my knees would hurt, and I would end up getting sick because after two weeks of trying to exercise because I was had so much excess weight on my body and I was just so unhealthy that just running my immune system down, trying to over exercise the weight mm -hmm. off, I would fail every time. And then I would give up because then I'd be like miserable and I'd be tired. So it was, it was just amazing having a ketogenic diet, just doing that made me feel better. And, and at the time I was going to a, a medical weight loss clinic because my endocrinologist, you know, he said, well, if you're not going to do medication, cause I refused to take medication for the, for the prediabetes, he said, I want you to, um, go and be part of like a, a weight loss clinic where you can be supervised and, and, um, you know, track your weight and everything like that. Cause I said, oh, I'm just going to try to lose the weight first. So I was, I was going to this medical weight loss clinic through my, through, um, a medical group here in San Diego and the the nurse practitioner who was so supportive I, I, they wanted me to do low carb high or high carb low fat right so mm -hmm. the, the healthy yeah. whole grains low fat right i tried that and it just it, i was starving and then i found keto and i told my nurse practitioner i'm like i'm going to do this and she said okay well we'll see how it goes she was <laughs> thankfully she was pretty supportive of me trying things out and then it started working and then she was just blown away and she's like, okay, wait, what are these books you're reading? Who is this Dr. Jason Fung, right? So she's like, I'm going to read this book. And um, I kind of blew her away with my results. And But what happened was I started feeling so good. So then I started exercising and, mm -hmm. and then I started, because it was only like 20 pounds down, I still had 80 pounds to lose. And then I was starting to get tired and frustrated. And she, she said to me, you know, Jill, just focus on the nutrition. She said, that's working for you. And this is coming from somebody who is well indoctrinated into, you know, the healthy whole grains and low fat, but she saw a difference in me. And she said, just, just don't try to do everything at once. Just focus on the nutrition that is working. And don't try to be this type A person, <laughs> like trying to do everything perfect all at once. Just, you know, focus on what's making you feel good and do that for now. Yeah, I totally agree. I think, uh, you know, a lot of people make the mistake, especially when they're coming from a, uh, you know, a, a metabolically damaged state and that they're trying to get everything so, like I'll have clients that come and work with me and they, they want everything to be so like absolute, pristine, perfect, no, no airs whatsoever. And it's like, just, just relax, just eat good quality, healthy, whole foods. And, and then we'll kind of build some momentum go, and then we can go from there and adjust and tweak and manipulate you know in a more detailed fashion but simply just eating quality wholesome foods and keeping the fats up and the carbs out i mean that right there is going to solve you know 90 percent of most people's problems yes and i uh that uh, if i follow my trajectory or my the history of kind of of my progression of weight loss and weight maintenance over the last two two and a half years it was a focus on nutrition for a year. I did that for a year. <laughs> I can't stress that mm -hmm. enough to everybody. And then I started riding my bike. Then I started getting on a stationary bike in my garage and riding it for like eight minutes at a time. And I, when I felt, but when I felt like I could do eight minutes, I tried to do 10 minutes and we're talking weeks at a time until I built myself up to like a half hour of riding on my bike. And then 
six months went by and then I felt strong enough to do it outside, to ride a real bike outside. So it was not all at once. I mean, I, I'm coming from it now of a place of, uh, <laughs> I really should take my own advice now, now that I'm like saying this out loud, but I, so I ran, I've ran two half marathons now. I did a sprint triathlon now and I, I, I'm not really that much of an athletic person. I mean, my, my run for the sprint try was so slow. I think I had like 15 minute miles, but I did it. I completed it. I can say I yeah. did that. And not a lot of people can say they did that, you know, but it took time and it took like one thing at a time. But I think I talked to a lot of people who were like, I, who, um, were in the same boat that I was in. And a lot of us are highly successful performing type A personalities. And mm -hmm. when we feel like that failure in this one part of your life, and like I worked in finance, I, I had a very successful job and I could do well at everything except for this one area of my life I had very little control over. So then when you start feeling like you have control over something again, then you're like, oh yeah, now I'm going to, now I'm just gonna, I'm gonna be like Robert Sykes, right? I'm gonna be like, <laughs> be able to build all this muscle right away. But I, I mean, it was, for me, it was probably like 15, 20 years of metabolic damage that I had done to myself that I needed to repair internally. So, so for me, it was really focusing on that internal um, metabolic repair. And I went back to my cardiologist recently and was able to um, remeasure my PVCs and they went from 9% to 1%. So I was, I was super wow. excited to, to, to hear that because, um, you know, you just, you never know with the heart stuff, uh, how that's going to turn out. But I, I was, I mean, I blew them away. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it's a nine day difference. <laughs> yeah. So, so what I, I want to kind of dive into like the psychology of, of what you were just, what was going through your mind when you were at your heaviest before you kind of dove into this? Like, what, what was the first win for you? Like when you started doing keto, started playing around the nutrition, what was the first win for you that kind of like gave you a glimmer of hope? So what, um, at my heaviest, I was just, I was so stressed out. So I worked in corporate finance and um, was a little Excel nerd, right? My face buried in a computer. I sat all day. I didn't move. I drank Rockstar and Monster Energy drinks to try to stay awake during the day. And I drank, mm -hmm. you know, half a bottle of wine at night to try to fall asleep at night. And then I'd be up at three in the morning. Now knowing that it was my liver just not being able to process all the sugar. And then I'd be wide awake with a bunch of sugar floating around in my body. Um, and then I'd be exhausted by five, six in the morning when I had to get up and get the kids out, out the door. So I was just functioning on this like caffeine, alcohol, lack of sleep, rotation all day long. What then became my coping mechanism was food. Was really I was alone a lot because I worked from home. So nobody saw what I was eating. And it just became, uh, I happened to move into uh, an area. I moved to San Diego four years ago. And I moved into this neighborhood that had a jack-in-the-box, which is a fast food restaurant like a McDonald's, right on the corner mm -hmm. of my neighborhood. And I ate there two to three times a day. So in two years, I started eating like a lot of fast food. And it became like this secret that only I knew about. I would like th throw my wrappers in the trash and then take my trash out to the street 
so that my husband wouldn't see the food that I was eating. Um, so there was a lot of shame and a lot of um, secrecy and hiding with the food I was eating. And I knew it was terrible. I knew it was bad for me. So I that was really the height of the the distorted kind of uh, reality of my life at the time. And um, I just I, I knew when I heard, when I went to the doctors and heard the reality of what what was happening to my body, I knew I had to change. And so when I found keto, um, two things happened. So one, I got laid off from my job that I'd had for, I don't know, 14 years. And I, uh, I had already <laughs> planned a trip to Kauai at the time for with my family. And so the trip was already paid for. I was getting laid off. So we're going to go to Hawaii. And I'm just going to take this as an opportunity to start over. Um, a lot of people could sit here and stress out and cry and kind of wallow in what's happening or i can take this as an opportunity like i built up a good severance i you know I, I, it was just it was almost just serendipitous that i had gotten laid off mm -hmm. because then i had time to focus on my health and take take control and take care of myself and try to get some of these the cortisol levels down so i got laid off from my job i went to hawaii and i by the by the time i got to hawaii i'd been doing keto for like four weeks um, and I stayed on keto in Hawaii, everybody, <laughs> just to let you know, you can do it in Hawaii too. I would eat, you know, fish and pork tacos and I just would eat the fish and the pork in it with the cabbage. I wouldn't eat the, the corn tortilla. Um, it, there's, there's plenty of ways to, to do it. I didn't drink. I had stopped. I had kind of tapered off drinking. And then, mm -hmm. um, once I found a ketogenic diet, I found that if I did drink, I just, I didn't feel well, I could start feeling the difference. So I had decided at that time as well that I was going to just stop drinking completely until my 39th birthday, um, mm -hmm. which was six months. So I said, I'm going to quit for six months and just see how I feel. And, um, so in Hawaii, we went on a, um, like a Jeep tour and then a, a, a a muddy hike through the jungle to this zip line. So it was like this zip line adventure hike thing. And <laughs> meanwhile, I was still like 80 pounds overweight because I had only lost about 20 pounds. So I was probably 230 mm -hmm. pounds and not in great shape at all. And this hike turned out to be like a nightmare <laughs> hike. <laughs> I had a I, I had a four-year-old and a six-year-old kid with me and my husband and the the whole, um, you know, all of us tourists on this hike. It was supposed to be maybe two, two and a half hour hike. It turned into like a nine hour thing because the the rains had washed away the trail that we were supposed to use. So we had to do this like alternative route and then we kind of got stuck where we were and it, it was just a disaster. And I didn't have any food with me. When you're in Hawaii, like, it takes 40, 45 minutes to drive from your hotel to wherever it is you're going on the island. And then mm -hmm. once we're there, we're kind of waiting for the tour to start. So I had really no food with me. And I thought it was going to be maybe four or five hours the next time I could eat. Well, it was at least 12 hours from the time I had eaten till then. And this is coming from the girl who was like, hooked on Jack in the Box sandwiches, who was hooked right, on Monster right. Energy drinks. And so... I, I remember at the end of the hike, I was hiking out of there and I was one of the, fir the, the first people in the hike getting out. I hadn't struggled the hike. I hadn't been out of breath. I, I was fine. 
And I got out of there. I was like, this is amazing. I can't believe that I haven't eaten anything all day today and I feel fine. And that was really my first intermittent fast, right? Mm-hmm. And I was not I was not starving. I was not hungry. I was not lethargic. I wasn't lightheaded. Nothing. I was I was totally fine and I wasn't even hungry at the end of it. So that was like a major, major win for me because then I realized I'm not going to die without food every, you know, 30 minutes. Yeah, I think there's so many, like people have such a skewed perception of what the body actually needs to not only just function, but perform well with. Um, Like I see it all the time in the bodybuilding space, you know, like I'll tell people that I'll go more than three hours without any kind of protein. They just like assume that I'm wasting away into nothing. But it's it's pretty empowering when you go, you know, hours and hours and, and even days or longer without any food and you don't suffer at all from it. Like your body just... This is okay. This is how it's, how it's going down right now. That's fine with me. Like that, that's powerful, I think. Yeah. And the amazing ability to focus on other things besides food, because my life mm-hmm. had really become a pursuit of food and um, an obsession really for me in those last two years over food and, and it, it being such a secretive thing. It was, it, it was so freeing to have that moment and like have all those memories too with my kids that I could be on a zip line with my my two little kids and be creating those memories and then see their mom doing things that were adventurous and and that whole trip was was really a lesson to me of I wouldn't have been able to do this and make these memories with these kids if I was still feeling really sick. And so I knew in that moment like I want more of these. I want more of these moments. I want more of this in my life. This is how I want my life to be. I want it to be easy and not to be like struggling and thinking about that all the time because I want to be creating these kind of um th- these kind of moments in life and this is what life is about. So I mean that that was really the 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 start of something uh just really new in my life. Was there any any point um, like when you were at your heaviest or at your sickest when like your your kids or your husband just like didn't know what was going on and you like kind of hit rock bottom or so as it relates to to them and, and your relationship with them or was that kind of never really apparent? I did. I had actually my rock bottom happened um, Martin Luther King Jr. Day in January of 2015. Um. I might choke up a little bit <laughs> talking about it, but I, um, I, I was, so this was before I had found out that I was pre-diabetic. This is before I had like tapered off drinking any of that. I was at the height of, um, of my sickness and I had, uh, just had a breast reduction in November of 2014. So I, I'd always been very well endowed and mm-hmm. I had thought, well, if I, I've, I'm, done having kids now like if i can uh, get at least that weight and just that off of my body maybe i can exercise and i can start feeling better but i think what happened was i had a really bad reaction to the anesthesia and i i um i became pretty depressed because you're pretty immobilized for several weeks afterwards and um and then once once the my breasts were reduced i found that there was no change like i hadn't changed anything in my own activity level and then I just started having this like dysmorphia about my body and um, and then like nothing else in my life had changed, right? So my job was still super stressful. I hadn't changed my eating habits. 
Um, and so everybody in my life needed me. My, my, you know, my, I was a manager. My employees needed me. My manager needed me. My, my husband, my kids. I mean, I was just like, I had no time for myself. So one that morning, I remember waking up and I said to my husband, I need a break. I'm going to have a mental breakdown. Like I, I didn't know what it was, but I was probably on the verge of a panic attack, mm -hmm. mimicking a heart attack. I, I mean, I'd been telling my husband all the time, I'm going to have a stroke. I'm going to have a stroke. I just know it. I'm just so stressed out. And there, um, he said, do whatever you need to do. Go do what you need to do. So I just got in my car and I started driving and I ended up driving for about two hours and I ended up on uh, the beach in in Laguna, in Laguna Beach. And I don't know why I ended up there. I mean, it's not even in the same county that I live in. Um, I think because my parents had taken me there. There had been some art festivals there. And I just like, I laid on the beach in the middle of January in the cold and in my jeans and <laughs> jeans and a sweatshirt on the sand. And I laid there for like, I don't know, like the whole day, maybe eight or nine hours, just listening to the ocean. And I remember thinking to myself, like, Jill, you got to figure out how to be happy. Like, you, whatever it takes, whatever you need to do, like, you either are going to die today or you're going to live today. Like, but you're going to live and figure out how to be happy. And I didn't know what that meant. I don't know that I was specifically suicidal, but I had thoughts of just like walking into the ocean and just like not coming back. I didn't have any specific ideas of what I would do, but I was just so, so overwhelmed with life. And I just wanted, I, I just couldn't figure out how to be happy. So it took another year, really, till I found some answers. But that in that time, I made the decision that day, like, continue on this quest to find, to find a better place in life and start making decisions for yourself that are going to benefit yourself. And, and so I started doing that. And, you know, it, it wasn't just the nutrition, but the nutrition, once I found that was able to support all the other things that I, um, you know, that I found. So like therapy, and getting outside and going and doing things with friends and finding friends that I identified with and that I could, you know, have good positive quality relationships with um you know all kind of started coming together you know it's crazy how you you truly cannot have any idea what is going on in somebody's mind and emotions based off of their their physical appearance alone i mean like there's there's just no way to know like i've seen people that looked to be incredibly fit and and they've gone through depression some of them committed suicide um, you know, and, and it ranges from all ends of the spectrum, but it's, I mean, we're all, we're all people. We all have these dark chapters in our lives and, you know, that that's going to look different for everybody, but simply having something to be excited about, whether it be like a, a new sport, a new hobby, a new nutrition, I mean, anything at all, really. Like I look at the keto diet and kind of what it's done for people beyond just improve their 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 health nutritionally but i mean it, it gives them something to rally behind like it gives them something to to research something to listen to podcasts about something to experiment with in the kitchen like it gives them something to grab hold of and say this is this is unique this is fascinating this is something that i kind of want to learn more about and when you have that it makes tomorrow seem worth living if that makes sense 
Very, very true. And I, I find that the more people I connect with in the ketogenic world, we are so different really in, in what our ailments are and what our issues are and what our activity levels or our health levels are. But there's this common theme throughout the community that is, or on the quest for a better life, for better health, and for, for finding really the right answers. And, and I love that about, about this community is that it, it's, people are inquisitive. They are not afraid to try something new. Um, very positive and supportive of each other. I, I just love it. I love it so much. Yeah, it, it's 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 truly is amazing. Um, the the sense of community and the the camaraderie alongside other people that you don't, you may not even know, but but you can just tell there's like there's a mutual respect and, and care for one another. Yeah. Um, what about your what about your family? Like your like your kids and your husband? Like what do they think about the whole process? So my husband thought I was nuts. Well, not really, but he uh, he's always been very supportive, but he is a uh, kinesiotherapist by trade. So he w went to school for exercise physiology back in the 90s when everything is, you know, healthy whole grains and low fat and just exercise your way out of a bad diet. Right. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so and he grew up as an athlete. So uh when I started doing this, I mean, he, we'd all heard about Atkins and low carb and he knew that that would work for short term, but he always goes back to the, uh, what is it? The Krebs cycle. I'm not going to say it right. I'm not a science person, but the, the law of thermodynamics. Yeah. Energy in versus energy out and all that. I, I think though, after a year, uh, so he saw the weight loss and then he saw me do it for a year and they thought, okay, there's something to this. But then after two, two and a half years, he's, he realizes like, okay, yeah, there is something this, this is, this works. Right. And, um, so I, about a year ago, I put my whole family on a, uh, no sugar, no grains. My kids are, are, rel are really healthy kids. They don't have any issues. They're not overweight. My daughter had some, um, some signs of asthma. Uh, and so I definitely wanted to get her off of grains to see if that would help. And it did. Um, and I, I mean, I have to say my kids are victims of having a mother, a full-time working stress out mother. So there was a lot of chicken nuggets and quesadillas and pizza and ice cream and po otter pops in our house. Mm -hmm. And so that has been a struggle to get them, uh, on board. But I just kind of came to the moment where I said, I know how unhealthy this stuff is for for my family, for people. I just can't I can't have it in the house anymore. So it, it's it's really hard with my kids um fighting against their the the school routine, right? Because in the house we're we're pretty consistent with with how we feed the kids, but at school they get otter pops as a reward on Fridays for good behavior. There's um holiday parties, there's constantly um, kids having birthdays with cupcakes coming in the house. I mean, it's just, it's one thing after another. So th I think that they are finally starting to get a, a good feel for like when they have a lot of sugar that they associate the high and then the crash with that and how they feel when mm -hmm. they have that. So, I mean, especially coming from me, from someone who has had 
negative associations with food. I don't want to create that in my kids. I want to teach them how to make good decisions and how food makes them feel. And so for me, just doing a, a blanket restriction on everything is is a is something that I don't want to do. So we do more of like the keto paleo approach. They have more fruit than I necessarily would have, but um, we definitely are not. We don't have any grains or or refined sugar in the house for them. And you know, we do like almond flour pancakes and bacon and eggs. And I mean, they they complain they're they're transitioning off of like a a, a pretty junky diet because uh, yeah, I was pretty stressed and overwhelmed with life, and so they weren't uh, they weren't given the best uh, start to their to their nutritional habits. But I'm hoping to kind of correct that going forward. So you mentioned that you noticed her asthma symptoms, uh, you know, decrease since fixing the food. Um, any other things that y'all have noticed? H- how old are they again? You said three and six. They are, yeah. Now my kids are seven and nine. Yeah. So, I mean, my kids really have they they've been pretty healthy most of their life. So, um, it re- really hasn't been much of an issue. But that one thing with my daughter, I noticed uh, the, the kind of, she had this like shallow cough thing that would happen, I noticed. And it was really after she would have something that had a lot of grain or wheat in it, she would get this like dry, shallow cough. But that's gone. It completely gone. It comes back occasionally if she ends up having something like, um, I want to say like cupcakes or something that's like a baked sweet treat she ends up getting that cough for for half the day and it'll go away as she as she's eating normal again but other than that they very well adjusted to the the way they eat now um and i i mean they were pretty healthy kids to begin with so not really much i will tell you this though so i started doing this i think like june of 20 2018 yeah i started cleaning out our pantries and mm-hmm. for two kids in elementary school, nobody got sick when they went back to school. Nobody got sick over Christmas vacation. Nobody got sick over their birthdays. So um, every year, any parent will tell you that when it's back to school time, everybody gets a cold, right? We didn't have it in our house. Nobody got sick. I, I, there'd be no way to like accurately you know, track it to see the correlation that, that I'm aware of anyways. But... I'd never really been sick. I've never really, I've been sick twice in my entire life. But since I've been keto, that's even, like, I don't even get like a, like a runny nose anymore. Like nothing negative really happens. And all, all I intentionally put myself in an environment where most people would get sick just to test it, which may not be the smartest thing ever, but I still don't get sick. Like this past weekend, I was with my cousins and all three of them had, had been just like, crazy sick, had some kind of, you know, 48 hour bug and they were all just puking. And I would like, <laughs> I didn't even, didn't even phase them. Like I would go hug them and everything. And I, I, I was, I try to put myself in an environment that's full of germs because I truly believe that <laughs> with keto, like it just does not affect me. And I, I don't recommend that for most people, but it's, it's, I do think that, you know, whatever your immune system is and whatever your tolerance is, it does improve with keto and i don't know it totally the, does the, the science behind it but I, I definitely have noticed that amongst myself and, and everybody i've talked to well my my 
I think that germs live on glucose. They live on sugar. And if you don't have enough in the body for it to live on, then <laughs> they can't. That's my that's my uh, sciencey uh, two cents for the day. No, I actually had a um, a ten week cough right before I started keto. So it's like August. Uh, no. Yeah, October of 2016. I was sick for like 10 weeks and I had tried two rounds of antibiotics. Nothing was working. I ended up having to go into the um, urgent care and get a breathing treatment with steroids because mm -hmm. my lungs were so inflamed. I could barely breathe. And um, I remember standing in the pickup area to pick up my kindergartner from school and coughing and coughing and coughing and all the moms like get out of here because they probably all <laughs> thought I had tuberculosis or something like that I just could not stop coughing and um it it finally it finally dissipated after that after I got that breathing treatment and some steroids but um I have not had any sort of cough since two and a half years I haven't been sick I don't get sick anymore it's really nice to have a boost to the immune system um not yeah, have to worry about absolutely. that. Yeah. Um, I, I want to kind of dive into, you know, you, you mentioned that you were just focusing on eating the, the, the right nutrition uh, for a year prior to even incorporating and, in, in, you know, adding in training. Um, what, what did you do? Because like two years ago was just when like, you know, like keto's been around forever. But two years ago when you started doing the diet, uh, you know, that's when more information was kind of becoming you know, available to the public. Um, that's when all you know people started becoming keto experts, and just more information was at our fingertips. Um, what kind of strategy did you do, or anything in particular, to uh, you know losing the weight and and kind of structuring your nutritional protocol? Was there like any you know general guidelines that you were trying to follow? So I I followed a a typical ketogenic ratio, so seventy five percent of your uh, macronutrients coming from fat and then uh, 10 to 15% coming from protein and then 5% carbs and always kept my carbs under 20 grams. So you kept your, your fat high. Yeah. Huh. Cause a lot, a lot of people, a lot of, uh, like one of the, the debates out there is, uh, you know, if you have a bunch of you know, stored adipose tissue, you know, body fat, you need to reduce your dietary fat intake so that your, your body's forced to burn and use your stored fat. But I've talked to a lot of people that had you know a lot of weight to lose, and they all seem to do pretty well with a higher dietary fat-based approach. Yes, and I you know calorically it was pretty low calories because I was so satiated. I didn't have to eat as often, and I found myself skipping mm -hmm. meals without even intentionally doing it. I've I've always tried to stick more to an intuitive way of doing keto versus a real reg regimented way, just with my history with food. If I'm hungry, I will mm -hmm. eat. If I'm not hungry, I will not eat. But I found with the higher fat ratio, it allowed me to go longer spirit periods of time without eating. And I, I will have to say, and this is where I want to pick your brain, <laughs> is that it, now that I have gotten the weight off, I try to go back to a higher level of protein or um, a little bit higher carbohydrates, and I just get tired. Mm -hmm. I get super tired. And I get hungry and I start thinking about food more and then I just end up getting frustrated and then I go back to the higher fat and then, but I, I'm stuck in this gray area really of, um, you know, Rob Wolf at the Metabolic Health Summit had talked about metabolic flexibility and that, mm -hmm. you know, if you have, if you have a relatively healthy 
metabolism that you should be able to flex a bit. And I, I'm struggling with that because now I'm no longer morbidly obese. I'm very mm-hmm. active. I am trying to transition into more weight training because, and really to support my cycling, because I love cycling. I love riding my bike, but I need more core strength. I need more back and, and, um, abdominal strength to hold myself up so that I'm not using my lower back and my arms to hold myself up on my bike. Um, Mm -hmm. and that requires weight training and the weight training just knocks it out of me. I get so exhausted and then I'm, trying to eat more protein because that's what I'm told that I need to do to build more muscle and the protein makes me tired. So I don't know what the answer is because I'm coming from like the obese, this is how I know to eat to lose weight. And then this is what I'm told that somebody who has a more healthy metabolism, they can afford more protein. But like, where is this middle ground? Like, how do I get there? You know, yeah, since the, that that's like such a controversial topic right now. You've got people on you know both ends of the spectrum within the keto space, and I don't know, like you, you definitely want to be in a place where your body can be metabolically flexible. Like you don't want to have to rely on carbohydrates for fuel. Um, so it's it's advantageous. Like you know, if the if the option is either you know be dependent on carbohydrates and glucose versus be metabolically flexible, obviously you would want to be able to gra- gravitate towards the latter and be metabolically flexible. But I'm not convinced that if you are highly keto adapted and efficient at using fats as a fuel source, there's any inherent advantage or benefit to switching back to carbs and glucose and being metabolically flexible in that sense. Um, Interesting. Yeah. I mean, for me, like I, I, I look at where I've come from, especially, you know, people that have struggled with, you know, eating disorders, uh, you know, binging on foods, purging on foods, like, I mean, in that sense of the word, food and, and carbohydrates, especially in sugars, I mean, that is a legitimate addiction. Like, you can yes. look at it through the same lens as you would a drug. And in in that case, I mean, I wouldn't, I mean, it, it's nice to be able to have a glass of wine in the evenings, but you don't want to tempt an alcoholic and say, hey, it's, it's beneficial for you to to be able to have alcohol on, you know, to a certain extent. I mean, like, that's a trigger you don't even want to pull. So yeah. rather than rather than skate the line there, like stick with what you know works and refine that because your body is smart. Your body is going to be able to and willing to adapt to the stimulus you subject it to and the environment you put it in. So like if your goal is to improve your performance, build muscle, and you know that you function both physically and mentally and emotionally with a, you know, stricter ketogenic diet, then then do that. I mean, that's what I do. Like I I'm a, I'm in the camp of Look, I've been strict keto for four or five years now, and I'm building muscle, and I'm doing so effectively and efficiently, and I'm not having to, you know, do this balancing act between being psychologically okay with eating carbs. Like, I I, I don't want to eat carbs. Like, I don't yeah. feel like I'm sacrificing. I don't feel like that's going to benefit me in any form or fashion, so I'm not going to, and I don't feel like I need to be metabolically flexible to perform at a high rate, so... I would suggest, you know, you look at it through that lens. Okay. So I love that answer. And, but so for me, for somebody who has not, doesn't have a lot of lean muscle mass that I need to build that in the gym, Mm -hmm. am I doing like, am I resting a lot more between sets? Do I do really low weight for a while to slowly build it up? Because I just get exhausted. And I'm just wondering how are people doing this? Like, 
are they on some sort of stimulants that I don't know about that they <laughs> keep them from being tired? I get really tired. Yeah, yeah. What I would recommend doing um, is, you know, you, you have to make sure that you're taking in enough protein. Like you don't want to, you know, don't be afraid of protein by any means. Like right. protein's a good thing. Um, so don't underconsume protein, but make sure you're getting enough protein, but do so, you know, with calories in mind as well. Like you have to have enough you know, input, you have to have enough fuel coming into your body to be able to create and produce and build more tissue in the form of muscle. I mean, that's just how it works. Um, yeah. So, you know, you don't want to be, you don't need as much protein as as you would if you're on a, you know, carbohydrate dependent diet, I don't believe. Um, like for me, just to give you an idea, like I'm taking in between 130 and 150 grams of protein a day and I weigh 180 pounds and I'm about 14% body fat right now. Mm-hmm. And and that's not near as much protein as, you know, <laughs> my my equal in a bodybuilding world that's doing a carbohydrate-based diet. They're taking right. in 300 grams of protein, so double what I'm taking in. Oh, my gosh. Um, you know, but for you, if you're if you're wanting to build muscle, improve your cycling, um, and, you know, see a, an uptick in your performance in the gym, you know, make sure you're you're taking enough protein, but then just increase your calories, your total calories and maintain that higher fat ratio. Like don't try and decrease your fat and increase your protein. Just right. increase your protein and your fat in tandem so that your total calories increase. Yeah. I think I'm good at eating to lose weight. I'm not good at eating for performance. Yeah. And and I had somebody on the podcast uh, the other day and, and they lost a lot of weight as well. They lost over 200 pounds and they were, they were just trying to, you know, be okay with the fact that, Hey, look, my, my pants are getting tighter. Um, my legs are getting bigger and when, and the scale's going up. And when you've, you know, struggled with weight and you've lost weight and it's taken years and you've put so much into doing that to see, you know, some of these telltale signs of that trend reversing, like the scale going up and the clothes yep. getting tighter is hard to, hard to, you know, be okay with. But when you step back and look at it logically and recognize, okay, look, my clothes are getting tighter and the scale's going up because I'm building more muscle. My composition is actually improving despite what the the total weight on the scale is showing. Um, and, and that's hard. Like I can say that and, it, and it'd be easy to, to to speak, but to be okay with it in your head is a whole other ballgame. So that, that takes some some work for sure. That's what happened to me. And so I just ended up quitting, going to the gym and got back on my bike and just started riding. <laughs> it's, it's like yeah. this balance, yeah. this balancing act because I need it. I need the weight training. Yeah, I mean, weight training, like resistance training, and I don't want to sound biased as a bodybuilder, but resistance training is incredibly advantageous for anybody, uh, no matter what their goal is. I mean, from like just simply a, um, you know, a bone standpoint, like you're you're improving the the density and composition of your skeletal structure by resistance training, and there's not going to be near the um, the 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 tension in the likelihood of injury on your joints as you would say like running. Um, So resistance training is is Kind of how I like to say resistance training, uh, intermittent fasting, and the ketogenic diet are like literally the trifecta for the fountain of youth. Because if you got those three things working for you, and you're doing it strategically, then then you're going to improve your your lifespan um, and your health span. But as far as you know, coping and being okay and embracing, you know, the different phases. Like I don't know. Like for me as a bodybuilder, there's there's times where I'm losing body fat and I get incredibly lean. And I look great, and but but when I'm there, I'm not as strong as I could be yeah. if I was on the other phase. And there's like there's sacrifices with everything. So 
you know, you don't want to have like this unhealthy, you know, ebb and flow. Like you don't want to, you know, yo-yo diet uh, by any means. But if you have a, a healthy cyclical approach to, you know, there's going to be times where I'm, I'm focused on building muscle. There's going to be times where I'm cutting body fat and I and embrace that phase, whatever phase I'm in. That's that's where you have to kind of, you know, accept where you're at and 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 know that, hey, look, if I'm building muscle now, I'm going to have a little bit more body fat on me because I'm taking in more calories. But when I do cut down next time, I'm going to look better than I would if I hadn't taken this phase and taken this time to, to do just that. So it's it's definitely a like a, a process because you can't, you know, consistently be incredibly low body fat and you can't consistently be just, you know, always taking in a surplus because there is advantages to, you know, being in a caloric deficit and, and being depleted in a sense. Um, but just embracing the phase you're in and accepting it for what it is 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 absolutely paramount when it comes to making a diet and a lifestyle sustainable. And I think that's kind of why I always I always say like enjoy the journey because it really mm-hmm. is always a journey. There if you gonna if you're gonna starve yourself and just be miserable the whole time you're dieting and trying to lose weight or or even, you know, trying to build muscle and you're just like miserable and not enjoying your time in the gym, you're not going to like the person on the other end of it. When you get to mm-hmm. that result, you're not going to like who you look at in the mirror. And so if, if you can find, for me, finding a gym that I enjoy and the people that feel like a family in the gym that I go to and people that I cycle with or ride with or, or do races with, enjoy that process like that is really the the ultimate goal the ultimate destination is is really the the pursuit of it yeah 100 percent. you know i mean you you gotta like when you fall in love with the process instead of the end goal then the end goal is going to be much more likely to be reached because if you're just striving for that end goal and you wake up every day and look at the mirror you look at the scale and you say, okay, look, this is not the end goal right here, then you're just going to be beating yourself down. But if you, yeah. you know, celebrate the day-to-day wins, but then just get excited and actually love the, the, I mean, I guess people say the grind, but I mean, that's what it is really. I mean, like whether it be business, whether it be like a relationship, whether it be, you know, health and nutrition, weight loss, muscle growth, anything, you know, totally embracing that is just, it just makes everything so much more sustainable, so much more fun. Um, and just getting excited about things, you know, like I get excited about like the, the stupidest little stuff. Like I'll go to the grocery store and I'll, I'll see some kind of health food that I've never seen before. And I, I'll want to make a, a YouTube video about it, or I want to dig into the sourcing of it. And, and just the more you dig into something, whatever that, that thing may be inherently, the more excited you're going to be about it. So, you know, start digging into the research, start digging into the the nuances of it. And then that's going to have like this you know, just cause and effect, in which case you're going to be more interested in what you're doing. And then it's going to be more fun to do. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think that has been what has made me successful on this is is really enjoying the process and enjoying how I feel when I'm doing it. So talk to me about the cycling, because that's something I'm going to pick your brain here. Um, I've, I've always liked riding my bike. But I've, I mean, this, this is, this is going back to when I was a little kid and I had a bike. <laughs> I haven't had a bike in years. Um, <laughs> what, what, uh, are you, are you doing mostly road biking or, or mountain biking? Yeah, I do road. I ride road and, um, there's a little island here in the Bay in San Diego called Fiesta Island and it's just flat paved road in a, in a big four and a half mile circle. 
and I ride that because there's no traffic lights. There's it's one way, so and it's like 20 miles an hour if there's cars on it. So I don't have to worry about getting hit by a car or anything or people not seeing you because they're tuned out on their phones or something. So I I ride mostly there. It's just easy for me, and I'm kind of a wimp. <laughs> um, but that's that's where I train. That's where I get most of my miles in. If I if I'm feeling adventurous, I'll go out onto um, what's called Sea World Drive which is a long just uh, road that goes along the ocean and it's pretty flat and um and that's where I ride where I ride mostly I think my my goal for this year is to do a century ride which is 100 miles the most I've gotten up to is is 50 miles at a time so that takes a couple hours for me to to do all at once um but I would like to do a century race and ride 100 miles uh sometime this year but um yeah I got a road bike I I found it um, for anybody interested in, in in cycling. Don't pay full price for an expensive bike. I have a really nice specialized bike, but what I did was I went to one of the good um, good road bike stores here in San Diego. I went on New Year's Day, so I knew they were getting rid of like the the old inventory from last year's stock and and stocking with the new stuff. And mm -hmm. started looking around, talking to them about bikes. I happen to be the size of an average male. So the the trying to find a bike for me is hard because those those go fast. You know, between five eight and five ten for a guy is is a very normal size. So I'm five seven. Does that make me below average? <laughs> I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Can't believe I put that on air. Darn it. <laughs> but but so so you're what 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 brand bike is it? It's a specialized. And what ha what happened was it was actually a two year old brand new bike. But it was well. It wasn't new. It was used by pros. A pro had rode it in a in a race. So the the bike had been ridden once, literally once. But they have to categorize it as a used bike. And so it's a pro uh -huh. bike. It has all pro components on it and everything. But they have to sell it as used. And it, it had been sitting in the store for two years, just in the back, not not doing anything. So I got it for less than half. I think it was like forty percent of the original price of the bike with medium to to upper level componentry on it so i i took that and ran with it man i mean yeah i, I did not spend a whole lot of money i mean a couple thousand dollars but i mean those bikes can be five to ten thousand dollars i did not spend anywhere near that but i i have a good bike and i have a good seat on it <laughs> you want a good seat yeah is it like all carbon fiber that's like the thing these days right yeah, it's a carbon fiber bike. Yeah, you definitely don't want aluminum <laughs> or steel. <laughs> too heavy. Yeah, yeah, too heavy. Yeah. And clips. I clip in. I look all professional. I've got road clips like with my feet clipped in. Yeah, I won't kill myself <laughs> falling off the bike. No, that's that's, that's too cool. My, my uncle got into to road biking for a while. And he, he's got um, he's got the crazy carbon fiber bikes and the clips and all that fancy stuff as well. And I look I look at, you know, him. I look at other bikers, you know, listening to you talk. It's like something I could definitely see myself getting into, but I don't know, like it. It's weird. Like there's this stigma <laughs> as a bodybuilder. It's like you you become a biker and you just lose muscle. But now that I'm I'm keto and I, I take in what I what I know currently about the diet and how my body's responded this far, I I honestly don't think there would be any dramatic disconnect between the two. Like I feel like people, I feel like if you're keto, you can legitimately bridge the gap between endurance sports and um you know like high intensity interval you know, training and bodybuilding and stuff like that without near the down, you know, the adverse effects as if you weren't keto. Yeah, definitely. And and just to have that overall cardio, um, 
cardiovascular health too. Just it's it's great to have that component as well built into your little mix of health, right? I mean, you don't have to necessarily. I mean, you you might be a competitive person and you get into it and then you get obsessed and then you're going to want to beat people at races, yeah. but you don't have to take it to that level if you don't want to. And Google search some of these cyclists. They're the these men's legs are huge. They've got really, yeah. really strong legs for cycling. And and cycling, I don't know, like you just look at, I mean, it's not really going to have near the, the, I mean, do you have any kind of joint issues after a long run, like your knees? No, not hurt? whatsoever. Nothing at all? No, keto has ch changed my life with that. Yeah. Uh, I used to get like, I mean, I, when I, I, I was so unhealthy, but if I tried to get on my bike and ride, um, my arms my hands would go numb because i had no strength to hold myself up on the bike so i would get sore wrists from holding on mm -hmm. i would get a sore lower back my knees would hurt i don't get any of that i don't get any of that i had some trouble with um side like side of my back hurting but that was because i had the wrong seat on my bike and once i got a new seat i was fine yeah i don't i don't have any trouble and that's why i love that's why I love cycling because it's a lot easier on your body than running is. Yeah, so much easier. Like the constant impact on your knees and shins and ankles, you know, and everything else when you're running just, it seems like a bad idea. But I mean, I don't know, like I look at people that run consistently all the time and they seem to say the same thing about their joints. You know, I think the main thing is just conditioning your body to that, whatever that may be. Um, yes. But I could definitely see cycling being just like better for the whole longevity aspect of your body's joints and ligaments. Plus, you get further. You you feel like you've accomplished a lot because <laughs> you get a lot further on a bike than you do running. So, yeah. I mean, especially living here in San Diego, there's so many awesome, amazing places to to cycle through. There's Torrey Pines, which is there's a really famous golf course on Torrey Pines, but it's cliffs that overlook the ocean, and there's a a big hill climb on the road that a lot of people do, and it's just gorgeous. You're going through like one of the most gorgeous places in the country being able to ride through there. I mean, it's just, it's great. Have you, I mean, I'm assuming there's gotta be some kind of statistics out about, you know, bikers safety with increased cell phone use. Is there, do you know anything on that? I, I don't know statistically, but I do know my husband's been a cyclist for 20 years. And in the last like five years, we've known several people that have gotten hit by cars. Yeah. In the last few years, it, it's really bad. It's like, you know, when you're a motorcycle rider, you say the, the saying is, you know, it's not if you get in a wreck, but when. And it's like the same thing now with, with you know, cyclists. It's like, it's not if you get hit, it's when. No, it's safer to do like I do and ride on these uh, these roads where you don't have a lot of cars or um, mountain bike. <laughs> get on a mountain bike and ride. I may, I may, I may transition to mountain biking first and then, then uh, go the road warrior route once I get acclimated. But we got to get you in the gym, though. I mean, the, the cycling is great, but we got to get you in the gym, too. I know. So I need to know, like, do I do lighter weight w w or just lower reps and rest a lot between until I s feel okay after the gym? I mean, how do you feel when you're done with the gym? Are you exhilarated, lots of energy when you're done working out? Are you tired? or? Yeah, so it all just kind of depends on, you know, there's a whole lot of factors at play. Like the other day I did legs. I did a hypertrophy leg workout. So you know, 15 reps to 20 reps on everything and very little rest period. And it, it's not a very long workout, but it's just a very, um, you know, hypertrophy focus, focusing on, you know, total blood flow and maximizing that. Okay, wait, I'm sorry. I'm not, I wait, what does I, what does hypertrophy mean? <laughs> 
Hypertrophy just simply means building muscle, basically. That's just a fancy way to say building muscle. Um, <laughs> but uh, I was I was traveling and I was incredibly deficient in potassium because I hadn't supplemented potassium since I'd been on the road for three days and, and didn't even bring it with me. Um, and I was working out and I just like was falling to pieces. I mean, my fatigue came on incredibly quickly. Um, you know, I by the end of all of my sets, I, I was literally collapsing on the floor. Like it was just weird. Like I, I felt like just pathetic, but it was because, you know, like the lactic acid buildup and just this imbalance in my electrolytes, I was dehydrated and had been taken in a lot of salt, but not enough potassium. So there was just a huge imbalance there. Um, and so that's not good. So I would look at that first because that could be a factor for you for sure. If you don't have the right equilibrium between your sodium, potassium, and your, you know, your hydration levels, your muscles just simply aren't going to contract like they should. Like you're not going to get the pump that you're looking for. You're not going to have the energy. I mean, not having the right sodium and potassium in water is huge. Um, so I would start there for sure. And then as far as actual programming and structuring, you know, like the sets and reps and the exercises and whatnot, I like to superset a lot of my exercises. I can just get more exercises in with less time spent in the gym, um, especially if I'm really busy that day, which has seemed to be the case lately. But what I've been doing, I've, I've kind of switched up my training, but I'll only do four or five exercises for a given body part. And then I'll switch to a different body part, which I, I never used to do. Typically, I would always just have one body part per day. Oh, like I'd okay. have a designated arm day or designated leg day, designated chest day. Um, but now I'm kind of doing two muscle groups in a day, but I'm doing them twice a week instead of once a week. So I've got a greater frequency. Um, and doing that has been good because it's it's one, just giving me a little, little change of pace, a little something, a little variety. Um, but I never get overly fatigued in one muscle before I switch to the next. So right at the point where you're getting bored with the workout, you mix it up to a totally different muscle and you just kind of feel, you know, energized again. Um, and then by the end of it, I feel, I feel good to go. I feel, I feel like I'm, uh, you know, not overly fatigued or sore or anything, but, but still have enough energy to tackle the day with intensity, you know? Yeah. Did you work out in the morning before your day? Yeah, I, I typically... What I've been doing, I've been kind of playing around with one meal a day, so OMAD, and I'll have all my calories in that one meal, and I've been having that around noon. Um, so I'll wake up at 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, do a couple of hours of computer work, and then train around 5 to 5.30 a.m., um, and then just you know work and then have that big meal around noon, and then just work until I go to bed around you know, 9, 10, 11, whatever that winds up being. Um, but for me, that's worked out really well because I'm able to, you know, have a pretty extended fast, you know, before I train and after I train. Um, so when when you when you're fasting, but before a workout, your body is just for one, you're hyper focused, and then if you do take in a pre workout or some kind of stimulant, stimulant, it it's absorbed much more efficiently and you feel it more. So if you have a huge meal and then you take a pre workout, for instance, like that's not like you're just not gonna have nearly get up and go as if you were to fast for twelve hours then take that pre-workout, then hit the gym. Yeah. I've always, well, in in the last eight, nine months, I've worked out fasted. So I'll work out in the morning, first thing in the morning, and then I will eat breakfast, I don't know, an hour after mm -hmm. I've worked out. Um, so the, yeah, yeah the see, fasting that's, that's and working out has always worked out for me. It's just I get like so tired and then I'm staring at 
eating and then I'm forced with that decision of eating and then it's like, well, what do I eat? <laughs> do I add just an egg, extra egg yolk to my eggs or do I add the whole extra egg with the protein, with the egg white? Uh, yeah, I would, I mean, if I was you, I'd, I'd kind of play around with a different, you know, range of total calories or a percentage of calories coming from fat. Like, you know, run the gamut from, okay, how do I feel at 70% of my calories coming from fat? How do I feel at 75? How do I feel at 80? Yeah. Um, and, and intervals in between there and then figure out what ratio you seem to feel the most energized and just feel the best at and then maintain that ratio but increase total calories by, you know, you can scale it up by like 100 calories, you know, every week or so um, until you find a point that you're you're able to be in enough of a surplus to build muscle tissue but not so much of a surplus that you just feel sloppy. Um, then then that, that's what I would recommend doing. And, okay. and you can – I mean, I don't want you to feel like if you're trying to go the more instinctive route and not really fool around with tracking super diligently, you know, you can totally do that. Um, but the more things you kind of dial in on, the the better you can track and see how your body responds. Like like any given scientific experiment, you know, like the more variables you have control for, the better you'll be able to, you know, manipulate those stimuli. Um, but yeah, I would, I would try and eat similar foods and then just manipulate the ratios and that way you're kind of removing some variables and keeping things consistent. But then once you find that ratio that you like, just scale up the calories gradually and then see how you perform. But I would imagine once you find that ratio, which for me is between about 78 and 80% of my calories coming from fat. Um, once you find that sweet spot, it's just, it's just easy. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm not, I, I'm, I'm okay with tracking like here and there, like tracking to adjust it and say, okay, I'm eating this today. How, what does that look like macro wise? I'll do that for a week or so. It's more of like the day, daily, daily, daily for weeks on end is where I run into trouble, but trying to, you know, setting new macros and, and adjusting to that and eating that way for like a week or so. I'm, I'm okay with that mentally. I can definitely do that. And that's how, that's how I was able to lose the weight in the first place too. Um, and I'm like you, I, the, the higher fat ratio, 75 plus really even 80% fat. I, I feel good at that, but I, yeah, I think I just don't, I'm not eating enough. I think I just need to be eating more calories in total with that ratio. Um, but like, I like what you just said. And you said this when I was your client too, is that do it in a hundred calorie increments a week, right? So don't try to add if you want to add 500 calories or even if you're subtracting 500 calories, like don't try to do that all at once Do do a hundred calories at a time and slowly add that in. So I, I like that um, approach. I think, I think, uh, you know, tapering, if your goal is to cut, you know, tapering slowly and I'll, I'll even taper less than that. Like I'll taper by, you know, 25, 50, 75 calories a week. Um, and, you know, making those very minute manipulations, is key when you're when you're losing body fat. Some people will 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 try and cut. You know, they'll just whack off a thousand calories, and then all of a sudden their body just starts responding poorly. There's usually like a lag time, but eventually it catches up with them and they start re responding poorly. And the same is true when you're you know you're at a a surplus. You're trying to build muscle. Like if if you can build muscle and not really gain any unnecessary body fat at a three hundred calorie surplus, then there's no benefit to doing it at an 800 calorie surplus like you're just going to be putting on unnecessary body fat at that point so you know being gradual with it and and you know really fine-tuning it and seeing how your body's responding and being in tune with your body is is key for sure this is cool yeah i'm i'm excited for it i mean it's cool for me to to see people 
you go from you know crazy extremes to the other and then focus on what what's the next thing you know what are you excited about now you know like you, you've lost the weight so now let's build the muscle and that, that's it's just it's just cool to watch yeah it, I, i'm excited because i feel just like this new freedom this body and this way of life has given me just the freedom to be able to enjoy and experience and and have new adventures um and so for me right now it's trying to focus on the bike and the cycling and get to that 100 miles but do it in a way where <laughs> i have the core strength to hold me up for that long of a period of time so yeah I, I i love the experimentation and i will definitely know let you know how it goes in the gym too and and when is the tentative time frame for the 100 miler um i think it will be probably uh early fall early yeah. fall yeah all right i'm going to i'm going to i'm going to follow up with you around september october and see you know where you're at on that cuz i'm i'm curious to to see how that goes for sure awesome yeah i welcome it <laughs> well jill it's 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 truly a pleasure to speak with you i mean i i, I saw you at uh, the metabolic health summit um you know ross and care from f bomb and and we were all visiting and i don't know, like I, I really look at your whole outlook towards things and just the positivity you bring to the community as a whole and just your interaction with, you know, people on a day-to-day -day basis. Like it's, it's truly something to behold. And I just respect and admire you for who you are and what you're bringing into this space. So just, just thank you and keep doing what you're doing. Oh, I feel the same way, Robert. Uh, I, I love the fact that you're just a very positive, upbeat, supportive person. And, and I'm glad I'm in this community with you. So I appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Jill, where can, where can people go to find out more about you, follow you along and, and watch you ride that hundred miles? Yeah. So, uh, my, I'm mainly on Instagram at Jill on a journey. Um, I push all of that stuff to my Facebook page, which is, um, SD keto, but not a whole lot that you'll see there. That's different. That's on my Instagram. I, I'm pretty responsive on my Instagram. If you want to DM me or reach out to me, definitely at Jill on a journey. Very cool. Very cool. I will link out to those so people can find you. And yeah, we'll, we'll definitely keep in touch because I'm anxious to watch what you have coming up. Awesome. Thanks again, Jill. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye-bye.